Welcome to Adventor, a podcast from Radio Orsa. Here we will share amazing stories from fascinating people. The podcast is all about grind, cycling and adventures on unknown roads. Let's saddle up and let's get inspired to ride. Our representative partner for this episode is Green Cycling Norway. Green Cycling Norway is a Norwegian incentive from Thomas Rem and myself. Our goal is to promote healthy cycling and inspire more people to ride their bikes. We also want the support of cycling to incorporate our non-littering policy and encourage you as a bike rider to take responsibility for your packaging and bottles and keep the races free of littering. On today's episode, we have Andy van Breggen, the founder of Everesting. Everesting is an amazing challenge where you ride up and down the same climb until you reach the elevation gain of Mount Everest. And it's explaining how it all came together and some of the most amazing stories from the Everesting attempts around the world. And last but not the least, we are talking about how you can prepare and get ready for the bucket list challenge of doing an Everesting. So man, Andy, it's it's great to have you on the show. I, I really appreciate you taking time to be here. Because, and you are the the founder, really, of Everesting, I guess. The the godfather, I also heard people call it the godfather of Everesting. The, the godfather title was a bit of an amusing one to me. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I did found it. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me on the show today. You are uh, now in Melbourne, in Australia. Yeah, that's right. We're down here in Melbourne. Unfortunately, we're about to go into lockdown again, or we've just started lockdown again. So we're, you, you'll be seeing a bit more of us on Swift, I think, the, uh, the Melbourne crew over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, hopefully you can, you know, the virus will be quickly, you know, controlled again so you can go out riding. But I'm sure you can uh, do some, some local stuff anyway. There's, there's some really fun local stuff to do. It means I get to ride more with my kids. Uh, and on top of that, like there's some good mountain bike trails around. Uh, the only problem is we're planning a half Everesting in the next couple of, uh, in two weeks time. So I have to find something very local now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard people doing it. More, even... make, yeah, just make it more interesting, you know. <laughs> and I heard people do it in their backyards anyway. Yeah, literally, literally in their backyards. <laughs> there's uh, there's uh, three uh, three Canadian runners who who did an Everesting in their backyard last week, which is pretty cool. That's amazing. But it, it just takes us a little bit, uh, you know, into the Everesting. You know, you founded the Everesting, uh, the you know the challenge. So what is it really? Yeah. So the the concept of Everesting is very simple. You just pick any hill anywhere in the world. And you just ride up and down that hill until you've accumulated the equivalent height of Mount Everest, which is 8,848 meters. So simple, right? <laughs> there's, a, there's a few rules that go with that as well. So it has to be in one activity. You can't do it over the space of a couple of days. Uh, and you're not, not allowed to sleep. But aside from that, that's fundamentally it. That's, uh, that's all you really need to do. So the first man on Mount Everest was Sir Edmund Hillary. And I, I checked him before, you know, talking with you and he's from New Zealand. So I guess like this is, you know, the Australian way of doing a proper Everest thing. <laughs> well, like one thing you may not realize there, but uh, here in Australia, we claim half of things that come from New Zealand anyway. So we claim their singers and their actors and yeah, sure. Why not? We'll, we'll claim their mountaineers as well. <laughs> 
So, so it is quite, you know, amazing. You ride up and down this one climb and you have to do it as many times you, you need to do to reach the elevation of Mount Everest, which is 8,848 meters. Is that 29,029 feet? That's correct, 2929. And uh, I think the thing that's really interesting about that is it could mean that on a really big climb, like some of the epic ones in Norway, for example, you may do eight or 10 repeats, but then you might pick something really short and steep and have to do 100, 200, 300 repeats. Uh, so it, 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 it's so different. It's such a different challenge for every single person that's doing it. Yeah, so you can basically do it in your local hill if it's a short one or a long one, doesn't really matter. So it's, it's a really cool challenge, really cool uh, thing to do, really mental challenge as well. But, but how did it all come together, really? How did you, you know, it's kind of a crazy thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it is a little bit crazy. So it started with, like, I've been writing for maybe 15 years or so. Uh, and the group that I was writing with was literally just three or four of us. And we would go and uh, write all the fondos that were available, all the events. And we kind of got sick of that after the, a year or two. And we, there, there was nothing that really held our interest. So I just devised rides that we would do uh, one ride a year. You'd have to train for it all year. And the idea was it was a good excuse to get us out of bed in the cold winter like it is now here in Melbourne. Uh, so, you know, we'd be calling each other out of bed and like, right, come on, where are you? And we've got to train up for this big epic ride. And so every year we'd do this one thing. And of course, as these things go, each year it had to be harder and harder and harder. And it kind of got to the point where there were so many people that were interested in doing this with us uh, that after five or six years of that, uh, if I didn't find something that you could do anywhere in the world, it just wasn't going to be possible to get to get everyone together. Like uh, in, in 2013, I think I had 120 people from all over the world that said, I want to fly to Melbourne and come and join the Hells 500 crew for this, this big epic annual ride. And it just wasn't possible. So I, I grew up loving mountaineering and I knew how important that was. Uh, and I'd heard of this ride that happened 20 years prior uh, with this gentleman by the name of George Mallory, and he uh, cycled the, the equivalent height of Mount Everest on a local climb here in Melbourne called Mount Donabuang, and I'd read his ride report maybe, I think it was 18 years after he did it or something like that, and the idea had stuck in my mind, and I just I realised, okay, here's something that, you know, we could take to our crew, and the Hells 500 crew would be able to do this anywhere, wherever they were in the world. So it was really designed as, as a challenge for the Hells 500 crew originally. Yeah, man, it's a, it's a really cool thing. It's, it's kind of like, you know, you can imagine doing something crazy like that, but not many people actually go on to do it. But then after, after a while, you know, now it seems like everyone is trying to attempt it now. And I'm, I'm sure not everyone can make it because it's, it's really a challenge. It's really, it takes some time to, to actually even finish it. Yeah, and I'm not sure what the attrition rate is, but I, I suspect it's, it's quite high. Um, you know, we only know the people who don't make it that we hear of directly, but there's probably a lot of attempts that just never kind of make it through to us. Um, but anecdotally, it feels like it's about a, you know, it's close to half actually the failure rate for the for the first time it's 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 a difficult challenge as you know it is it is really a challenge but it's it's amazing i mean when you finish at the, at the last you know the last uh, lap when you do it it's 
it's just such a you know epic yeah i mean it feels like you conquer the mountain really because you're riding up and down and it starts easy and you have to start really slowly and then after a while you get into this this zone you just have to keep pedaling keep going and it's you know the first one i did was in grefsenkoln in oslo and it was uh, 73 laps i did um the 10,000 meters, which uh, the HRS that you can explain a little bit later, but uh, you know, you, you, the first 10 is easy. And then you have to just go into this mental zone of just continuing and just never, never stop really, because it just makes it, it's harder really to finish it if it takes too much of breaks. And I think the key is really to break it down in your mind as well. So you're never thinking, I've got 73 laps to do. You're just thinking, okay, I'll do this set of five, and then I'll do the next set of five, and I'll do the next set of five. And, you know, each time you're just ticking off a little micro goal. It's, a, it's an old running technique, I think, of just chunking it down, they call mm. it. But, yeah, if you, can, if you can kind of break it down mentally, then maybe it's not so overwhelming. That, that's a big, big thing to do. Definitely. So I can kind of imagine it's sometimes it's easier to do a little bit shorter climb where you can actually really break it down easily. But if you do like this long epic climbs, we have one guy in Norway, Chetil Mendelbo uh, Onnesen. I think you, you might know him from, he's he done several attempts now. And uh, he, he just recently did six times Dalsne by Norway. It's a, it's a climb of 1,500 meters, which is a long climb. So it's hard to really break it down even more. You just have to, you know, do each, each level. Right. Yeah, I, I was just gonna say I just read his blog uh, on it, and he raised some amazing money for the fjords. Uh, and what an amazing place! It's a it's a heritage. Uh, it's a heritage UNESCO, area, right? UNESCO, UNESCO's uh, heritage. UNESCO. Yeah, yeah, it's gorgeous. Like, uh, make sure you check it out. Uh, it's, it's an amazing blog, and uh, yeah, so so proud to have that ride in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and that is, I mean, that's a long climb, and yeah. Yeah, so I don't know what, which one is the easier to do a long or a short one, but just recently now we, we've seen a lot of people actually going for, you know, the fastest time of Everesting. We just recently had uh, the world record of uh, Lachlan Morton. He did it actually two times in, in a week to, to, to really finish it, so to get an official record. And then... Yeah, sorry, sorry, Lucky. Yeah, <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, you had to, you, you're kind of the, the um, official, the, the referee of this challenge. Yeah, the, the gatekeeper. So, but uh, yeah, Lucky's ride, obviously amazing, not only for the record attempt, but I think what it will be remembered for, regardless of what happens with the record, is the fact that he went back and did it the second week. And that's so Hell's 500. It's not funny. That's amazing. We love that. Yeah. And that was seven hours and 20 Five, uh, seven, seven, twenty-eight. Yeah, twenty-eight, which is amazingly fast. You have to do more than, I think, eleven hundred meters. Uh, way, what do you call it? Van, van? vertical, yeah, the van. ascent meters, the, the, and that's, that's even right. with the downhill part <laughs> included. So. I, I think even for normal people doing it in twice the time, that's still a good time. You know, like if you're doing fourteen, fifteen hours, that's that's all right. That's a, that's a good Everesting time. It is, and uh, but also a big shout out to Emma uh, Emma Polly, who did uh, the fastest women record just a couple of days ago when we recorded this, and that was nine hours. And you you probably have it. That that's right. She did it in. Uh, 
I haven't got it in front of me here, no. actually, but yeah, she, she just broke the record, which she, she actually broke nine hours. So, um, which is fantastic and obviously amazing, amazing writer and such a great um, ambassador and advocate for, uh, for cycling. So yeah, we're, we're really, really proud, not only of the fact that she even knows about everything or the fact that she did one, both very cool things, but she set a record, which is, how, how cool is that? Yeah, it's an amazing time. Really impress impressive. It's uh, it beats my time as well. Uh, I, ha <laughs> I haven't actually done an Everest thing. I only done the ten thousand meters, which is a little bit longer. Um, it's kind of the same because I did a couple of times. You do the what do you call it? Everesting ten k? Is that what you call it? That's right. Yeah, Everesting ten k. Formerly the uh, the HRS when mm. you did it, but yeah, now now the ten k. Yeah. So so you did a little bit more because. I was just doing this event, the Hope Challenge, and uh, this is an event they organized in Oslo the last couple of years where they actually raised money for uh, Hope for Justice that works to fight modern slavery. And during this uh, charity event, you rode up and down this local climb of 1.9 kilometer, uh, and you had to do it 73 times for Everesting and 82 for 10,000 meters. So it's so quite an amazing and challenging ride. but. Uh, uh yeah so so I definitely that was that was really cool and when i did it, it was such a good atmosphere so i just had to kind of continue to the to the highest you know highest uh possible uh, challenge really in, in this uh, event well, it's, what, it's one of those things when you're so close uh, to that to that ten thousand, you don't get the opportunity many times to ride ten thousand meters in in one day so when you've done everything, it's you know on paper it looks close, although you know the reality that it's it's a little bit harder than that. Right? The uh, that last little uh, thousand thousand meters and a bit is it's it's harder than just just a thousand meters. It is definitely, and it's pretty pretty crazy thing to do, really. But when you are in it in the zone, I feel like you can kind of just continue because you go into this mental state of really going outside your comfort zone really into this imaginary place it's really cool totally and what about uh, the, the event itself what an amazing event like we've uh, we've known these guys for a couple of years uh absolutely love and support what they do very recently just did a virtual everesting edition which is a bit of a shame that, that it wasn't possible to be the the physical edition again but you know they've set uh, group Everesting records, and uh, every year we're so so pumped to have a, a little involvement with them. Uh, yeah, it's it's really cool. It, it is really cool. I heard they set a, a world record in attempts in one day or in the same events. That that's correct. Yeah, it, it was a one day or a group Everesting uh, record that they they set. Sixty. Which, how many was it? Still still stands. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah, 68, let's say. <laughs> say it with confidence. It was, it was a lot. <laughs> it's amazing. So I really hope, you know, they, they had this virtual Everesting this year due to Corona, which is, uh, you know, a great uh, alternative. But I, I really hope they can, you know, go out again and continue to doing this outside group rides uh, or group Everestings, which is, it's been really, really a cool thing to, to be a part of for two years for me, so. I have no doubt that it'll be back and bigger, bigger than ever uh, in future years, for sure. Bigger and stronger. And again, amazing cause. It is, it is. So big shout out to um, uh, Stan Magnus, um, 
and the effect that is organizing it. So hopefully it will come back next year. But the virtual Everest thing, that it's, it's growing. That is uh, indoor riding on Swift. Yeah, that's correct. So like uh, we, we did our first virtual Everest thing back in 2015. So it's been in existence for a long time. But for the first couple of years, it was literally just a handful of riders and then a dozen and then 20 and 30 each year. Uh, until the last two years where maybe there's a few hundred in 2019, I think there was either 250 or 300 that, that, that sort of came through. But I think it's because of the fact that um, the virtual challenge did exist, that when everyone went into lockdown, while other uh, events didn't have a virtual uh, arm, everything existed already and was, was ready to go. And people obviously knew about everything already. So it just meant that uh, people very quickly switched to virtual everything and it, it just exploded. In fact, for a month there, I think we had maybe 10 Everestings and a couple of like seven or 800 virtual Everestings. It was just, uh, we've never seen anything like it because that was anything uh, that you could do anywhere in the world. Um, but that's, it. I think now that uh, the Northern Hemisphere is in summer, again, like it's starting to change over and people riding outdoors. And I think if you've got the opportunity, of course, you, you probably generally, this is a fair assumption, but to make, but you probably generally prefer to be outdoors than, than indoor on a trainer. Um, but still, yeah, it's, it's great. It's, uh, it's really fantastic to see that that exists. And I think the thing that's really cool about virtual Everesting is, you know, once you start to dip back into the colder times and winter again, it's, it's there and you can still challenge yourself the year through. Mm. It is, especially in the Norwegian winter time, it's, it's a good, uh, good thing to do, I guess. At least it's, it's better than riding outside in the snow, maybe. Totally. It's tough though. Like I've, I've done a few virtual Everest things now and uh, it's, it's obviously very different for, for a whole bunch of obvious reasons from doing it outdoors. But oh, let me tell you, like being locked into that position for, for me, it's like north of 15 hours uh, is, it's a big day in the saddle. It's, it's a tough day. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, I, can't remember, I can't remember ever getting off my bike uh, on a descent in real life to just go and cook myself from breakfast or have a kit change or something that that's definitely a luxury but uh or watching netflix <laughs> yeah that's true but how many actually ever seen you done you done a virtual a couple of times and then outdoors you done yeah so i've done i've done uh i think it's five and five so five virtual five outdoor uh and a couple of half ever things in there and a couple of decent failures as well <laughs> Have you done any winter time? I, I, well, you're from Australia. You don't really have snow, though. But oh, we have a little bit. Uh, we, funnily enough, uh, I did one in in the middle of winter uh, a few years ago. It was a mountain bike one, and as it turns out, it was the coldest day of the year. So I think the maximum temperature was one or two degrees. So it was out in the Dandenong Ranges. It was freezing, <laughs> um, but it was, it was also because it was such a steep climb. It was like wearing everything on the descent and then I had to pull everything off on the climb straight away and it's just on off on off all day <laughs> but I definitely preferred doing them in summer that's for sure yeah yeah it must be another uh, you know another experience doing in the winter time with the, the cold and yeah it's sort of I mean I think the, the worst thing about doing it in winter time is you're just going to be riding inevitably in the dark a lot longer and wherever possible, you know, you, for, for safety's sake and for sanity's sake, you prefer to be riding in, in the sunlight if possible. Mm. But you actually, you were riding, I don't know, like you had this amazing ride, Everesting Everest, uh, which was riding actually 
you know, at, in the climb of Mount Everest, the, the mountain. Uh, I don't know if you had a lot of snow there, but it seems like it's quite an amazing thing to do, actually. Well, yeah, speaking of cold, it was definitely cold there. It was, I think, uh, when we were doing the Everest thing, even though it was sunny, uh, it was down to minus eight degrees. They have these things called the catabatic wing, winds, which is the wind that comes down off the mountain and gets funneled down the valley. So you're climbing into a block headwind and it's down to minus eight. I was wearing so, so many clothes. <laughs> and uh, on top of that, you're obviously climbing at altitude as well, which is five and a half thousand meters. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was kind of a cool story. Like one of my very good friends lives in, in China and he just sent me a, a photo one day and said, Andy, you've got to check this out. There's, they've paved the road to Mount Everest Base Camp in Tibet. There's two sides, obviously, the Tibetan side and the Nepalese side. They've paved the road on the Tibetan side all the way up to base camp. It's 5,000, whatever, 5,200 metres. We, we should Everest Everest. And uh, yeah, it all started from there. So we got a, got a crew together and spent uh, a couple of months training in high-altitude chambers and I was getting blood tests from doctors and I had nutritionists and breathing respiration coach and all, all sorts of things and it was it was a lot of fun getting ready for it and we just couldn't see any anything like the, like an endurance event like this that we could find any, anywhere else that had been done at high altitude which was exciting because we had to reach out for advice and as far as we could see, there wasn't really any benchmark for this. Um, I'm sure there are, but we, we just couldn't find any, any examples of that sort of thing. So we were really pioneering and going into the unknown, and it was tough. It was uh, it was it was so so difficult. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I didn't quite get there in the end myself, but um, such an amazing experience, and you know, quite obviously one of the best experiences of my life. Yeah, you did document it uh, through a video, and on the video you're actually crying, and it's a little bit like, oh. as, as an Everest, Everest thing founder, you should be, you know, kind of the tough guy with the Hell's 500 crew. And <laughs> well, I, I think the thing is, like, um, if I've got one thing going for me, it's that I can, I, I, I can suffer on the bike, and you know, I don't, I don't ride as fast as anyone else, but I know, I definitely know how to suffer, and for this particular. Uh, attempt i've trained harder than i ever had in my entire life for anything um i was even on the morning of the event I, of, of the ride i said to myself like right i'm prepared to ride until i bleed out of my eyeballs i'm going to get this done i just i will not take no for an answer but at the end of the day i, I was affected by high altitude sickness and it's it's something that you know you, you can't control and it gets dangerous very quickly as well. Like I was, you know, a, uh, my, my blood oxygen saturation level, which at, for you and I right now is about 99, 98% maybe. It's bad if it gets under 80%. If it's under 70, you, you get put on, taken to hospital. And mine was down to 49. So it was dire, dire stuff. I, I was having hallucinations and out of body experiences and almost crashed my bike a couple of times and no one else knows what you're going through, but, uh, yeah, just, just had to, to pull stumps and yeah, it was okay in the end, but it was a, well, it wasn't a pleasant experience. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, must be like, I remember this, uh, I don't know if you remember the, the TV show from Discovery, the Beyond the Limit, a month Everest Beyond the Limit. Uh, I was, I was, you know, one of the big fans of this show and I was super, you know, a big 
a fan of of the mountain of Mount Everest. I really want to climb it, but uh, of course, like it's it's not so easy to actually go there and climb it, and it's a big you know uh, risk of of health really. So when I saw you guys went there, I was like, man, I I really want to go and do the exact same thing. And when you guys went, I was a little bit jealous. I was, and then um, first I saw that you guys didn't manage it or did this one no none of you you three guys but then yeah. one of the guys went back right yeah this is correct so one of the one of the guys so we went with uh, an amazing group called Cirque uh, S-E-R-K and you know if anyone wants to go to Everest definitely check these guys out and I, I promise you it is a once in a lifetime experience it's just the most amazing thing and however big mm. that like, it's Mount Everest, of course it's big, but however big it looks, it is just wall to wall, like the most amazing thing that you've ever seen. And you're, you're on Everest. You're not underneath it or anything. You're on the mountain at base camp. It's, it's insane. Uh, but yeah, one of their guides who had acclimatized for over a month, uh, went and did it the next season, the next climbing season and was successful. But you know, you, you talk to, you talk to him and he said he suffered every single pedal stroke of that entire ride oh, really? i said well when when did you feel like you had it in the bag surely was it you know 10 laps from the end or 20 laps from the end and he said oh no i was halfway through the final lap and even then i didn't feel it was possible <laughs> wow. so hardcore so hardcore i, yeah. I love that <laughs> yeah i definitely do as well because doing the everest in uh you know your like a kind climb is it's attainable for most people if you just take time you know if you don't have any injuries or but it was just a, such an amazing event and when you had the video as well uh, man it, it's something you guys the listeners you really have to check it out but uh yeah, but you, Andy, can, you can you yeah. can, I was just gonna say you can head to uh cycling tips and if you just type, type in cycling tips everest you'll, you'll be able to find it Definitely. I'll also share it in the description of this podcast for sure, because it's something you guys really have to check out. Uh, and then you also get a little bit introduction of the Everesting, what it is, because you had you started off explaining Everesting. So it's something everyone, all cyclists actually need to, to take time to, to see, I'd say. To see me cry. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I guess like you, you see all this different kind of Everesting attempts. And can you just share a couple of the most amazing stories you heard? Yeah, I mean, like, obviously, it's it's incredible to hear of all these records that are being set, um, which which is fantastic. But I think the thing that, that I find about those records is we're, we're then just watching pro cyclists uh, do, doing something. And it's incredible to see what the boundaries are. But for me, the, the really incredible stories are those of, of you and I, uh, you know, pe people like us that, that are doing this. Um, you know, there's so, so many incredible stories. In fact, like literally every single week, every single day when, when I'm approving these Everestings and, and I touch every single one of them, it's, I'm just inspired. Um, but, you know, like, uh, for example, there was a, a writer of the name uh, Jack Thompson who decided he wanted to do three Everestings in a row in three days but then to make it even more difficult because that's the coolest thing. Like people just want to make it harder for themselves. He did it in three countries. So he Everested and then got in the car and did another one and got in the car and did another one. And um, where, where was this? Uh, he, he did it in, I think he did it in uh, Italy and, and 
uh, yeah, I don't know, around there. So like it was yeah. uh, incredible. Uh, Jack Thompson, you should, you should check that out. It was, it was really, really cool. Um, but then there's like some, like, I think, you know, some of the Everestings that, that really stand out in my mind are the ones where people have come overcome some adversity or, you know, they're, they're doing something which is really big and monumental in their life. So it, it's not necessarily, in fact, it's the opposite of what, what Lockie and Emma are doing with their record setting. It's people who are doing it in 24, 30 hours, 30 hours plus. And those stories are absolutely incredible. And, you know, you see the either the videos or the photos from these attempts and um, you, there'll be whole community out there supporting them, cheering them on, handmade signs being held up, the kids are there maybe. And man, that just like nothing makes me more proud uh, to see those, those sorts of attempts coming through. But then of course, you know, you, you hear all the, the crazy things as well. So believe it or not, there's been not one, but two mono Everestings where someone's do, doing a wheelie and has wheelied an Everesting. There's a Orbea rider who did it a few years ago on a mountain bike and then literally just a few weeks ago there was, there was another rider who, who went and did one. There's double Everestings, which I can't get my head around still, but then there's triple and even quadruple Everestings, which just, I don't even know. I can't understand that. That's, it's like, it's so cool to see the boundaries being pushed, but that is just so far beyond my comprehension. I cannot tell you. <laughs> it blows my mind. But, but yeah. this, this is kind of... I guess this is the thing that's so cool about everything because like really it's, it is a simple concept as we said at the start and it's this framework where you can use your creativity to come up with something really interesting and, and really, really different. And uh, yeah, that's, that's what I really love about it. It is really cool. I, I think we, we touched on it a little bit uh, in the beginning, people doing uh, everything in the backyard of their house. Totally. So yeah, like people literally, I always joked for many years that, oh, you could do it on the, on your driveway or in your backyard. And yeah, sure enough, these, these guys actually did. <laughs> but what, what would be like for a first time? How would that, like the, the best uh, possible climb or place to do it? How would it look? Yeah, I, I, this is just a, <clears throat> a personal opinion and I've, I've done a few and I've obviously got a good body of, of, <laughs> of, of data to look at as well. But it's going to sound counterintuitive, but a higher amount of repetitions is actually can be quite favourable for you. Um, so higher repetitions means that your your ride is naturally going to be shorter in total distance, and as a result, you're spending a little bit. Oh, like, a, sorry, I should say um, your, your descents are going to be shorter. So mm. you're not going to be spending half an hour uh, descending some some giant uh, some giant mountain. Because if you're doing those sorts of descents, even though it's sort of fun and you, you get to relax a little bit, your legs get cold. And, you know, I've done one on, on Mount Pula, which is a thousand metres, and you would spend the next kilometre and a half at, at the bottom trying to warm up again. And you just, you're really out of rhythm and it's, it's just big and brutal and long. Whereas I've found personally the ones that uh, recover the best from are the ones with a high amount of reps. And I'm talking hundred reps or more and something a little bit steeper as well, because you just get lots of recovery time. Well, obviously your recovery time is the same amount, but you get recovery time every couple of minutes as, a, as opposed to an, every hour, for example, if you do a really big mountain. So I think pick something that's a little bit steeper. I think like somewhere around six or 7%, if you can handle it a little bit steeper again, the steeper you go, the shorter it gets. Uh, 
And so, so yeah, I think that sweet spot's around about the 200 kilometer mark total, including the descent uh, and something with a few more reps. If, if you pick something like that, I think you're setting yourself up for, you know, in a pretty good place. Mm, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. And I think it's also good to have a little bit uh, wider perspective on why you're doing it. Uh, maybe have some kind of charity you want to, sh- um, to raise money for, or maybe you get your friends out as well to ride together with you. And it makes it a lot more attainable, a lot easier to motivate you when you're really suffering because you will suffer. Oh yeah, <laughs> that, that's part of the fun. Right? Just know that if you are suffering, you know, if I hear about it, that just makes me happy. That brings joy to my heart to hear of your tales of suffering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's really challenging. To, of course, so many hours. Uh, some people use you know the record now seven and a half hour mark about. And then you have people doing it 20 hours, even more, I guess. So uh, the only thing you can't is, is to stop for sleeping. So you have to do it in, in one kind of one yeah, go. Yeah, no, no sleeps, no sleeps, no naps or anything like that. But rest yeah. assured, like normal people do it in, uh, like I think the average is probably closer to that 16 to 20 hours. I've done a 24-hour one myself on a mountain bike. It's, it's a long time. <laughs> it is. Yeah. So, so um, do you have any specific clients like you're dreaming about to do or you really would like to see people try to conquer? I, I think if, if you ask me personally, like I, I always have a couple of clients in my mind and I think it's sort of like I, I do a bit of snowboarding as well and, and have surfed for many years. So, you know, if you're a surfer sitting on the beach, you're looking at the break and you're just imagining yourself on the wave there. And if you're a snowboarder, you're either looking at the mountain and imagining the line that you take down. And I think it's the same for cyclists as well. You know, you go riding around and just go, Hey, this would be a really good Everesting. Like I could, I could really enjoy this climb. And even just two days ago, I was riding locally. As we said before, I've got this base camp coming up mm. and there's a climb. I, I never considered that. I think, yeah, it's, it's top of my mind right now. And that's kind of exciting to have this, this shopping list going. But I think in, in terms of, uh, you know, big mountains or, or, or iconic climbs that um, I'd still love to, to see done. It's, it's not so much about uh, seeing new ones done, but I just like the idea of a creative spin taken on existing climbs. So it always excites me when I find out that there's, you know, a gravel path up the back of some iconic climb that's been done before, because I think the really great thing about Hell's 500, the, the Hell's 500 crew is they'll look at any challenge and regardless of how tough it is, they'll always be asking themselves, how can we make that a little bit harder? I could do it on a street, but I could do it on cobbles. (laughs) I could do it on a gravel road, but I could do it on single track, (laughs) you know, and I just love that. And, and, uh, you know, in that creativity and that, that quest to kind of push your own boundaries, it means that there's some really exciting things that happen. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so I am, my actually kind of dream climbs to do is we have one in Norway. I don't know if you heard about it. You you might have seen pictures. It's called the Troll uh, in Norwegian Trollstigen. I think it's. If, if I could turn my screen around right now and show you my desktop, that is my desktop backdrop. Oh yeah, that climb. I look I look at it every day. Yeah, are you serious? I love it. Like literally, it is my desktop background. I was actually thinking maybe to do it in the end of August this year. I might have to, wow. sh- to have, might have to wait so you can join me for maybe next year when the pandemic Far is. Out. <laughs> Talk about an iconic climb. That, that looks amazing. I would love to ride that once. <laughs> yeah, 
it is really amazing, especially if you, well, you may have a lot of rain, but it's actually quite epic in rain as well because they have a waterfall. So it's like riding inside a waterfall if you have the rain as well. So it's, it's amazing. Yeah, the photo that I've got of it looks very wet. <laughs> it's it beautiful is. though. So it beautiful. Is. So I'd love to do that one. And actually, I, I think I told you one of the first time we actually spoke or, or chatted, I said I want to do a winter Everest thing on steady tires. Oh, that's right. Yeah, see, I'm trying to think if that's been done before. Like maybe, maybe not. Uh, I know I know there's been a few that have definitely been in snowy conditions. Jens Voigt uh, did, did an Everest thing where it snowed, it kind of sleeted on him for big parts of that. But different if you're riding in the snow intentionally. That's cool. That's cool. I really like that. <laughs> but it would be challenging because instead of tires, it's, it makes, you know, the, the, the traction of, of the wheel, it's really slow. Yeah, right. Of course, of course. So it's, it's really hard, but I'm sure it's possible when people can do it three or four times Everest in one go, then for sure it's possible. Exactly. Yeah, look, there's honestly nothing that surprises me with this incredible crew. Like, uh, not to say that I'm not amazed, I definitely am, but surprised? You can't surprise me anymore. <laughs> no, so, so you, I, I'm sure like um, people that would like to, you know, get inspired as you join the, the Facebook uh, group that you, you're having, the official discussion group of Everest. Yeah, it's a really great place to go for sure. Like uh, the, the Hells 500 group is is great and we, we share a lot on that. But the official Everesting group is a really great place if you've got specific questions. Um, very knowledgeable group and so supportive. Yeah, very, very cool. Yeah, it is. It is great. And for the Norwegians, I'd love you if you want to join the, the fan group of uh, Everesting that we I just opened. Norwegian Everesting Norway is it called. So join that one as well. You should definitely check that out for sure. And the Everesting CC is, is the page of Everesting where you can actually see all the Hall of Fame, all the climbs and all the successful Everesting. Yeah, that's right. And if you are thinking about doing one for the first time, we've got a whole bunch of free guides that are available. They're, they're really popular. They go into quite a lot of detail. Of course, you know, all you need to do is do a bit of a Google search as well. There's some pretty handy resources externally, um, you know, on, on the web. There's a, a, one of our crew members, Circa by Lightspeed, has a really fantastic guide. Uh, there's, you know, one on Red Bull, for example, as well. That's, that's quite cool as well. But there's plenty of them floating around. You'll, you'll find them if you, if you do a bit of a search. Yeah, I love the Everesting calculator where you add the, the segment from Strava, then you, you put it in and you see how many times you have to do it and what time you will, you know, uh, expect to use uh, regarding to your wattage and your power. Yeah, it's a bit easier than just uh, topping up spreadsheets and things like that yourself. So it, hopefully it takes a little bit of the, the legwork out of it for people. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely something people need to use, I guess. So you have kind of an idea of how long you use and how much water and food, everything, what you need. Exactly right. Exactly right. Because it's a, it's, a, it's a challenge. You can't really go out and ride. Maybe Lachlan Morton can, but most people that need to plan this <laughs> and work, <laughs> work about it. Yeah, if you can just go out and bust it, if you can go and bust out a seven and a half hour everything at the drop of a hat, then I say good luck to you. That's, <laughs> that's, not, that's not normal people. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. So, Andy, thank you for, um, for the talk. I hope people get inspired to do some everything and definitely they should.
Yeah, thank you so much for ha having me along and, you know, great to chat to you uh, as always. And like I said, you know, we've known each other forever and hey, I'm looking forward to seeing that studded tyre everything come through. <laughs> now, now I have to do it. <laughs> yeah, of course, you've called it, you've called it publicly now. Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Andy, good talking with you. Listen, thanks so much. If you enjoyed the talk today or learned something new, we would really appreciate if you could consider becoming a patron and support our work. You can give a one-time amount or become a monthly subscriber. You find the info in the description. And for Norwegians, you can use the WIPS app. You have just listened to an episode of Adventor, a podcast from Radio Orset. If you got inspired, why not go to your podcast app, give us five stars and share it with your friends. My name is Jonas Orset. Connect with me on social medias. And as always, feel free to comment on your thoughts and suggestions. I'd love to hear from you. So let's settle up and let's get ready to ride.